in five, four, three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to America.com. My name is Rich Doc Hayden, and I am with... And here we are. It's the beginning of May. We are with our friend of 2-7 brother, Matthew Maxwell. Maxwell, how are you? Doing good. Good, 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 good. So, Harp, how are you feeling this week? I'm feeling all right. Good, man. Good, good. And Maxwell, how are you doing this week? Oh, go ahead. I cut you off. Go ahead. What's up? No, no, go ahead. I was saying we just making. Nice, 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 nice. And Maxwell, how are you doing? Doing great, man. Good, good, good. Perfecto, perfecto. It is in May. Uh, the it's starting to actually it's weird saying this. It's starting to warm up a little bit in LA. We had an unusually cold winter, and it's not cold for the rest of the country. But uh, wherever you are listening to this, I hope that the trees are starting to bloom a little bit. That the flowers are coming out, and you're getting to spend a little time outside and do your thing. So, so we're going to turn our attention as we have for the last, gosh, not quite a year and a half to the war in Ukraine. Um, not, not a ton in the news. Everybody's getting ready for this big offensive, uh, this Ukrainian offensive that should be coming, uh, uh, you know, probably in the next couple of weeks. Harp, let me start with you. What have you been hearing? What do you, what do you think? Well, I see where the missiles are dropping on Cuba again. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... Uh, just, just getting, yeah, I guess, getting ready to see what they're going to do. Yeah, it's been, you know, one of the things that I think is just kind of unfortunate is that, uh, you know, I, we've read throughout this, you know, last year and change, we've read about how um, the civilian tax against the Ukrainians just go, you know, start and, and they intensify and then they become a little less intense and then they intensify and, it's easy to just become numb to them, but these are, you know, actual people who are getting, you know, butchered by the Russians, unfortunately. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 awful to see it happen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 So, the um, are there any any sort of you know new developments or any other things that you've seen that have kind of caught your eye? I mean. Nothing like too too drastic that's caught the eye. I mean, we're still like in the in the same. It seems like we're getting nowhere. Yeah. With the war, it's just dragging along. Uh, no, I mean nothing. Nothing really good is going to come out of this now that mm. you know it's, it's just dragging on. Mm. Yeah. No, totally. Totally. Maxwell, let me shoot it over to you. What have you seen this last week? Man, so saw a couple things that may be indications. I know that the Ukrainians said that they are very close to the finish line of kicking off a counteroffensive. And some of the things that I've seen this week kind of kind of lead up to what you would call like deep battle space shaping. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So you've had you had the drone attack on the oil field mm. and uh, oil reserves in Crimea, right? That was pretty decent news. You've had railheads being blown up and cut 
Now, there was one that happened earlier in the week that was reported on, and I just saw before this and Reuters that a couple hours ago they reported another one. So there's two logistics railheads that is feeding the war machine, uh, and, and these railheads are within Russia, right? Mm, yes. And, I mean, I guess a, a technicality, Crimea is considered Russia as well. So there's been, um, there's been very deliberate sabotage attacks that attack the logistics that would be needed for the Russians to hold out on the counteroffensive, right? So they're striking deep and removing this capability, removing these assets from the Russians to be able to feed the machine, if you will. So a lot of deep battle space shaping. It shows that they're disciplined, right? They're going to set the conditions uh, before they launch the attack to really just cut the legs out from underneath the Russians, uh, cut off the, cut the Russians off from their supply lines and their ability to like fuel their tanks and whatnot. And freaking just really like, not only that, but the psychological effect of like saboteur activities behind enemy lines, right? It's like no one's safe. Um, I read an article earlier that, the Ukrainians have been very deliberate and very careful not to target civilians. Mm, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. To maintain, like, where the Russians don't give a shit and it's widely known. But, you know, the Ukrainians, I mean, you, there was the, there was the, like, Russian version of AWACS in Belarus that was sabotaged. Now you've got these supply lines that are sabotaged, you know, derailing trains, blowing up oil refineries, like all military targets, legitimate military targets that would not uh, take the favor away from Ukraine, you know, Mm -hmm. unlike them, you know, going after civilian targets where, you know, Hart mentioned where the Russians are indiscriminate, like t- basically targeting civilian neighborhoods and population centers with cruise missiles and, uh, and drones. So there's, there's definitely, it definitely gives you the good versus evil vibe there. But yeah, that's, uh, that I thought was pretty interesting. I, some of these saboteur attacks that might seem like a one-off deal, but when you think about an offensive uh, coming, it makes sense mm. that you're going to shape the battlefield. And boy, does that not sound like they've been definitely trained and advised and uh, counseled by the U.S. Department of Defense because mm. yeah. that's what we do best. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Now, I'd read about the rail attacks, and I actually, uh, you're hearing you speak about. It, I hadn't, I hadn't read enough to put the pieces together like that. So I think that's, um, yeah, pretty great analysis, and I think you're right. And, you know, one thing I'd like to expand upon, too, is uh, I totally agree with you that, um, uh, well, well, you you said that um, uh, Ukrainians have been very careful to, you know, not target Russian civilians, and 
the yeah, I think one thing that they have been very very wise about throughout this whole war is to um, yeah not target Russian civilians and not launch any um, you, uh, attacks against civilians or any you know a, a terrorist like attacks you know with the exception of the um, uh, the potential assassination of the one I I I can't pronounce his name but the um, the the Russian philosopher that that um, the 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 nationalist philosopher where it it um, it killed his daughter um, presumably it was yeah. it was meant for him so that was sort of the one big one that um, <clears throat> that uh, you know was a, a a specific terrorist attack and I mean I don't know if the Ukraine's ever accepted responsibility for that I don't I'm sure it wasn't anybody else you know what I mean but. Um, but yeah, no, it's terrorism. It, terrorism is v- uh, tactically accomplishes very little, and it's all psychological. And there's there's been there's there's no upside to uh, any terrorist attack for Ukraine. And also, I would argue too, there's been little to no upside in these indiscriminate Russian attacks. Like all that the Russian attacks have done is. Uh, just emboldened the Ukrainian population, and um, I read. I you know, uh, I, there are a couple of interesting articles that um, I read. But uh, before before I hit those, Maxwell, any, anything else that you've seen? Let's let's see what else you got. Oh man, so there's a lot of infighting in the Russian Ministry of Defense. Mm-hmm. They've had some replacements. Pergozin is threatening to pull Wagner out of fucking Bakhmut because they're not getting the support. Uh, There's more Russian PMCs now operating there uh, because they've lost so many people. Uh, PMCs being private military companies. And, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of... And I... I saw it one place, and I have not seen it again, uh, that there is some unconfirmed reports that Russian PMCs, a Russian private military company, not the Wagner Group, got into a shooting battle with the Wagner Group. Oh, my God. uh, Because there was a lack of communication. So it's kind of like a blue-on-blue, if you will. But it was like... There's no communication that they were there, and they got into a fucking shooting match with each other. Uh, so it's just chaos, right? Like they oh. say, the White House assessed on May first that the Russians have suffered a hundred thousand casualties. Mm. Casualties, so eighty thousand wounded, twenty thousand killed in the fighting for Bakhmut since January first. Mm. That so is twenty thousand mm-hmm. killed, eighty thousand wounded just in Bakhmut since January. Absolutely crazy! Absolutely crazy! And I, the no, I, I, I read the numbers were a, a little bit less. They're still heavy for Ukraine, but a bit less than that. Um, there were, there were estimates. The, the government, the U.S. government, doesn't um, talk about Ukrainian or doesn't release their uh, Ukrainian casualty estimates, but. The report, the article I read, estimated a, a a bit less, not quite. I think maybe three quarters or so, maybe a, a a bit less than um Russia. But yeah, that is wild, man. They just the Russians just keep throwing bodies at this, and nothing's moving. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. So, you know, 
All right. What, what else? Before I, I, I have a couple things, but what else you got? No man, that's that's all I've got for now. Gotcha. All right, so so you know so um, on top of the uh, Ukrainian attacks in Russian territory, I read one article. I'm going to pull it up here. Is in the Guardian, and um, and I it it doesn't actually affect the war, but I think it was very interesting. Um, a, a little interesting little peek into um kind of what's going on in Russia right now. So um, the article is titled Russian Regions Scrap Victory Day Parades Amid Fear of Ukraine Strikes. Um, so governor of a region 400 miles from the border is the latest to cancel over, quote, safety concerns, unquote, and glaring admission of vulnerabil- vulnerabil- vulnerability. Um, and I'm just going to read just a little bit out of the article. It says, at least six Russian regions have scrapped um, May 9th Victory Day parades that marked the Soviet victory over Nazi Germany amid fears over Ukrainian strikes, with a, uh, with a region 400 miles from the border being the latest to cancel. The governor of Saratov announced the parade there would not go ahead because of safety concerns, adding to a string of cancellations that are a glaring admission of the country's military vulnerability more than 14 months into the war. I'm going to go ahead, um, just, just shoot ahead into... Um, uh, uh, shoot ahead in the article a little bit. Um, the other one says, um, hold on just a moment. Uh, now, this is a little bit later in the article. Security services in Moscow announced last week that they were closing Red Square to the public for an unprecedented two weeks in preparation for the military parade where Putin is expected to make an appearance. Baza, a Russian media outlet with sources in the security services, reported that the Russian Ministry of Defense was considering canceling the aerial segment of the parade in both Moscow and St. Petersburg, citing security concerns and a lack of trained pilots. So that's, that was the end of the article. And I thought that this was really fascinating because, you know, as the article states, a lot of the regions that are canceling these, um, these parades are... Uh, you know, far from Ukraine. I mean, you know, 400 miles from Ukraine, very, you know, very, very far. And there, it's almost, um, uh, I don't know, paranoia is not quite the right word, but it, it feels, after September 11th in the U.S., we, uh, went, you know, in hindsight, went quite a bit overboard uh, with security concerns to, you know, protect the homeland against terrorism. On one hand, uh Another major September 11th uh, style terrorist attack has not occurred since then, so some of the steps were effective. But what I'm talking, what I'm more um, uh, uh, specifically, I think is more relevant, is just sort of the climate of fear that descended on the country because we felt that we were vulnerable to Al Qaeda and um, other terrorist organizations. And I think that. I'm wondering if something similar is happening in Russia right now, where um, uh, uh, you know um, people are concerned about Ukrainian attacks. I mean, they see some of these drone attacks, and they are um, overreacting in a way. I mean, Ukraine is not going to attack uh, you know one of these Victory Day parades in some you know uh, small state four hundred miles from the border, you know what I mean? Uh, Moscow, the, 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 you know, security in Moscow um, 
they have a legitimate. I, from an anti-terrorism perspective, they have a legitimate um, concern about being attacked. But like some of these other um, uh, smaller regions, you know, Ukraine's not going to attack them for the reasons we just discussed. And I, you know, I wonder if that dynamic is hurting or helping the Kremlin. Is it hurting the Kremlin in the sense that they are? You know, these vulnerabilities are uh, just kind of being laid bare to the Russian public, and they they're admitting that they are not as big and vulnerable invulnerable as um, you know Putin projects them to be. Or is it helping because it's creating this atmosphere of fear, which encourages them to, uh, or which which keeps the, the the population scared and keeps the population um, uh, motivated to fight or or you know, keeps their attention on the fight. Maxwell, what, what do you think of that? Well, I would say that it's probably likely as as part of two things. Likely that for the psychological effect of keeping the people scared. Secondly, I think fucking Putin scared shitless, but if he shows his face in public, something may happen. However, what's more plausible is the Russians pulling a false flag operation to win over their people's support for the war. Mm. They did this in 1999 by blowing up four Russian apartment buildings Mm. in order to justify escalating war in Chechnya, right? There's hundreds of Russians Mm. died in those explosions, which the Russian government did uh, to fucking get support behind, you know, escalating the Chechen war. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they have got, hey, they have literally done it in the past. That's, that's, that's confirmed shit. Uh, so what's more plausible is, is a terrorist attack pulled by the Russians to, and blamed on the Ukrainians. Yeah, that's a good point. That's one, um, that I hadn't considered, but it's very, very possible. Um, Harp, let me shoot it over to you. Any any thoughts on, you know, whether these, or what's going on with these um, closures, or whether they're good or bad for the Russian war effort? I mean, I don't think it, I don't think it's good for them. Mm. Like I mean, I don't think that anything they've done so far has been good for them. Mm. Um, but I still don't understand. I mean, if I'm Ukraine and I have the ability to go into Russia. Uh, I mean, Russia's not, they don't give two shits if they're killing Ukraine civilians, so I don't understand why Ukraine cares about the Russian civilians mm-hmm. at this point for over a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, end of this. Well, I, you know, to answer that, Harp, I think that um, Ukraine is on a, um, it, it kind of has a, a, a balancing act with that. And yeah. I think that, well, first of all, number one, it's, it's, I, I I well let me say this too I I even though I don't I'm not inside Vladimir Zelensky's um, brain uh, he's he's not as ruthless and cunning and um, as uh, 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 just just um just doesn't just cares more for lack of a better term more empathetic um, and sensitive to life in general than Putin is and um, that's not the kind of war that they're waging but then also you know the uh, Ukraine doesn't want to, certainly does not want to alienate the U.S. or Europe, um, and it knows that 
it's going to, in order to do that, it's got to maintain the moral upper hand. And also keeping an eye on China. You know, China, China has been supporting um, Russia diplomatically and a little bit materially, not, not with weapons or anything. But, you know, China can only... Can I say can only sort of fudge the truth to a certain extent? I mean, you know, it, it, the the thing that's obvious that everyone you know in Chinese government, the Chinese intelligence in services understand is that Russia has killed untold Ukrainian civilians, and Ukraine has only killed um, a handful. And as you know, the the Chinese government could you know roll out the propaganda machine and. Um, you know, perhaps convince the Chinese people that the Ukrainians are Nazis and terrorists or, you know, what parrot the same line that, that Putin has. But to the international community, uh, you know, they can't do that because everybody understands what's going on. And I think that that dynamic would shift if Ukraine started indiscriminately um, attacking Russians in the same way, you know what I mean? They would lose their support... Um, uh, from abroad, so I so kind of that that that's sort of why they have to um, care about Russian civilians, and I, you know, and finally too, I mean, Zelensky has and the Zelensky and the Ukraine guy have an eye on the end of the war, and I, you know, it's the 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 accounting for Russian atrocities is going to go on for the next fifty years. You know what I mean? And um, you know, Ukraine doesn't want to be in that position, so that's my. I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying, though, like, they're not going to win hearts and minds. I mean, they're not going to lose our support if they if they bomb Russia and a few, few civilians get, I mean, that's what's getting done to their homeland. Why can't they do it to mm-hmm. Russia's homeland at this point? I mean, we're over a year. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I don't think that it, I don't think it also makes any strategic sense to, it, it certainly makes strategic sense, as Maxwell was saying, to, to bomb, um, they, they can keep dragging this out. That's just gonna, I mean, it, mm-hmm. in the long haul, I mean, there's gonna be no no winner, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, I don't, but like, I don't know how, um, how much sense it would make to just, you know, bomb Russian civilians. It, it they certainly, if they have a legitimate military target, and there's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying bomb like mm. neighborhood. I'm saying like Russian infrastructure that's important to them. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, but if a right. civilian, it, it just happens to be part of it. I mean, that's war. Yeah. I but mean, the railhead, the the rail lines were inside of Russia, right? Like so, the freaking the rail lines that they cut with explosives were inside Russia, right? And, and the drone into Crimea, and hell, there was a drone attack into Belarus, which which uh, took out that AWACS plane. They did. There was some drone attacks against the Russian air base within Russia. It was very. It wasn't very successful. Uh, it was kind of a long shot. You know they. It. it, it but it it was an attempt, so I think I think they're making some ways, and, and this is why I say like these sabotage attacks 
I believe, are tied to shaping the battle space before an offensive because we haven't seen it by and large that much before, and now we're seeing it quite a bit, right? Like, um, so that might be an indication there. Yeah. But, I mean, I get what you're saying. They got high Mars. Why don't they lob those fishes into the fucking airfields and, and, and Russia and, you know, just mass, mass bomb But I think one of the things that has been the holdoff on starting this offensive in the first place is the Ukrainians have to replenish their ammunition stores. I think both sides are running low on ammunition. That's why I like fucking Wagner groups bitching all the time. Mm-hmm. It's similar to the Battle of the Bulge when, like, oil and gasoline was, like, scarce. So it kind of ground both sides. The You know, it ground down the Allies and the Germans in World War Two before the Battle of the Bulge because... They didn't have enough fucking gas. Mm. And and the thing that's delaying this offensive is, is fucking ammunition. Mm. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah. And also, I did very, very, very briefly, um, I did read that the mud in Ukraine, I guess, is a little bit um, worse this year than normal. Um, because of the, I don't, the rain or the seasons, they said. So there, there are a couple of environmental factors working against them uh, as well. So, um, so there, there are a few things. And, and yet, you know, I, I, we can... The erosion control has been blown away. What was that? I'm sure the erosion control has probably been blown away too. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of things that people don't think about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the long run. Yeah. What's gonna? No, totally, totally. It's, yeah, it's um, uh, uh, uh yeah. I, you know, there's, 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 there, obviously, Ukraine is not gonna show its cards and telegraph its battle plans to the entire world before it does it. But um, yeah, it could be any number of things that um, that has kept the offensive from happening. Now, mm-hmm. now, on the other hand, if this offensive, um is launched and is very successful, uh, I, you know, it, it could potentially be um, so the decisive uh, battle and decisive maneuver in the end of the war. And it's possible that, I don't know, in six months from now, um, you know, there's, there's going to be that, that Russia will be essentially pushed out of the territory that it claimed, maybe um, even out of Crimea. That's That's a little bit of a stretch, but... You know, uh, we've talked about this before, but I mean, like, what's the end game? How does this end? Like, Harp, let me open it up to you. How do you how do you see this ending? Totally for both sides. Mm, how so? I mean, if it if 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 say if Ukraine doesn't join NATO, then it's not a win for Ukraine. And if Russia doesn't take. Ukraine, then there's not a win for Russia. Mm. So, and I don't think Russia is going to allow Ukraine to join NATO. Uh, they're going to keep them in a war, and there's no other countries over there that's really. Uh, I mean, like you don't even hardly hear the NATO talks anymore. Like there's, I mean, Europe is about the only 
section, I think, would benefit if Ukraine stayed Ukraine mm. for the for the oil and the resources in that region. Because if Russia takes it, I mean, what's Europe going to do? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if Russia uh, if Russia does take Ukraine, then Russia's going to be sure enough the mega power in that region. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Uh, yeah. I, Mm-hmm. I see it in for both, really. Mm-hmm. All right, Maxwell. Let me open it up to you. What's what's the end game here? Well, I think it's very feasible in this next offensive that the Ukrainians cut Crimea off completely and are able to surround the Russians at Bakhmut. Like, they're holding out, which is amazing. Like, the, the Ukrainians that are still in Bakhmut defending, the fact that they're still able to defend is, is amazing. And all they need is that boost, and I feel that it's coming. I feel like, like I said, just like the different shaping operations, the confidence that the Ukrainians have, the fact that they received top-of-the-line armor and have been trained on it, by different NATO countries to include the United States have have new weapon systems and whereas we're seeing like the Russian Ministry of Defense come unraveled like all they need like this push could be what gets them to the finish line I think when you have the psychological effect of the Russians being completely cut off in Bakhmut and freaking Crimea being completely cut off from the rest of Russia, uh, that that's going to freaking change some things. And I don't know how how much longer Russia could hold out. They're throwing antiquated fucking hardware and untrained people. They've got private military contractors in there because they can't staff enough people and um you know they're not getting there people rather people rather fucking escape the country than freaking serve with the russian yeah. military because as much as the russians want us to press what the fuck's going on people are still going to talk and they know it's an absolute shit show over there yeah 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 i, I would agree like anybody anybody who has Drunk any any military age male who has drunk the Russian Kool Aid is either in the armed forces and you know dead wounded or on the ground in Ukraine. If they're on the ground in Ukraine, they're pissed off, or um, you know B has left the country or C is in prison and hasn't signed up to leave. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, they're really they're really running at the end. It's you know it's interesting because yeah, if this big offensive really does push the um, Russians back and deals that fatal blow. It's, it's, I think the most difficult thing is going to be to bring the Russians to the table because the Ukrainians want to go into negotiate. Well, actually, both sides want to go into negotiations with the best hand possible. And if the Ukrainians are able to... Uh, bring the Russians to the negotiating table after an 
a decisive win again, like Maxwell, you said, like with you know modern armor with NATO behind them and the 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 the, the you know the winds of NATO and the West and kind of the the momentum of victory at their back, they're going to be in a much stronger bargaining position than they would be otherwise. The um, you know they're they're sort of they're sort of ending the immediate war and then making sure that war does not break out again. So there's actually two things that Ukraine has to do. Number one, has to decisively defeat the Russians and um, push them back, regain all their territory. I'll leave Crimea open. Crimea is the one wild card, which I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about. And I think that depending on how well this spring goes, I, eventually Ukraine may um, end up parting with it. But um, uh, Crimea aside, they have to win this this war, or this phase of the war, and then they have to um, ensure their territorial integrity so that Russia does not just try this again in 10 or 15 years, which is very possible. And that that is where um, some very important diplomacy is going to come in. That's where they're, they're basically going to have to um, turn to the West. I think that the West, I think that we are going to, uh, at least the United States, but uh, greater Europe as well, is going to um, uh, recognize them and welcome them into the fold. But that's also going to mean, um, you know, after this war is over, uh, before the war started, Ukraine was a democracy, but a very imperfect democracy with a lot of corruption, a lot of holdover from um, from uh, uh, Soviet times, a lot of uh, inertia, Soviet inertia. So even though it uh, was a democracy, is you know it still is a democracy, but was a democracy prior to the outbreak of the war. I think that there a number of reforms are going to have to happen. They can't go back to business as usual uh, before the war if they're going to want to, um, you know, to to defend themselves from Russia and remain a free state, an independent state. And I think, you know, I I think that change, as we can see in the U.S. here, change is. Of societal change is often really, really hard unless you go through a big, horrifying, shocking, and unifying experience like this war has been for Ukraine. So I think um, that it is going, it is possible. They are in a moment, uh, if they win, they're in this unique moment that probably only comes around, gosh, every once, every hundred years, maybe every 200 years, where they have a chance to. Um, really reform and remake themselves and set themselves on a course for um, prosperity or you know they might not be able to do that and they they uh, you know become dysfunctional after the war ends they they start to and I, I don't again I actually that that's one thing I I'm pretty confident that um, uh, won't happen barring some sort of I mean again I very out, uh, uh, assuming if Russia doesn't nuke the country or something, something like that, you know, some, some horribly um, d- destructive alternative scenario. But, um, but yeah, so those are the two things that need to happen. And I just, you know, on the, on the Russian side, the, the Russians are, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know how much gas they have left in the tank. If this, if, if nuclear weapons did not exist, um, Europe probably would have gotten into the war a long time ago, or um, it would kind of be a, or or if we had continued on this path and let them fight, uh, let the Ukrainians uh, fight out with the Russians after this offensive, uh, if Russia was, um, you know, not fully pushed back, but but 
um, on its hind legs, then you know the U.S. and Europe certainly would have sent uh, more military support, perhaps with um, troops on the ground. But again, that's in a world without nukes, so I don't know, no point in going down that uh, 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 theoretical avenue. So, so, so it is going to be a very, very interesting and hopefully decisive next two or three months. And I'm, and it's possible, and my hope, is I'm hoping that in late summer, early fall, the Russians have been pushed back far enough um, that they have to go to negotiations. And have to, now, let me, I got, I got a question for you guys. And I'll start, Maxwell, we'll start with you. Um, realistic, nuclear weapons aside, but realistically, what would it take for momentum to shift in Russia's favor? And I, I say anything from China entering the war or other support. What, it, it, it's still a possibility. What do you think would have to happen for Russia to regain momentum and um, uh, uh, push back on Ukraine? Uh, I mean, possibly the introduction of China into the war, but I highly doubt that that would happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Harpo, let me ask you the same question. What do you think it would take to um, give Russia um, uh, uh, some momentum? I mean, if... if Ukraine does do the uh, the, the attacks and the, and the aggression that they're saying they're going to do, and it doesn't work. That's going to give Russia a little upper hand, I believe. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, if Russia fends that off and still is applying the attacks on the Ukraine. I think that's that's going to be a huge win for for Putin. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Call it, yeah. That's. The the only things I could see, yep. If the if this offensive does not go as well as um, Ukraine plans or hopes, which is a possibility, I, ho- I I I hope that is not the case. I hope that they, it's it's successful. I hope that their planning works. Um, and then yeah, support um, uh, to receive some uh, additional support from China, uh, which I, I actually I agree with you. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I I don't. I think that at, if China has not offered more material support um, you know this far into the game I, I don't think that they will that's of course dependent on if the US were to do something very provocative perhaps they would but I, I don't think that the US is going to um, uh, uh, you know send ground troops or anything like that you know a, a, a real intense provocation that way so I see very few things um, that could I mean I, unless I don't know, maybe North Korea will come to the rescue and they'll send a couple divisions or, I don't know, maybe the Syrians will send some more help or the Iranians will send some more help. But, you know, that kind of um, leads me to a, a bit of a bigger point. And as in, in for the future of this new Cold War and this new power struggle that we're, we're, that's emerging here in the 21st century between, you know, autocracies and democracies. And democracies... Um, one of the, one of the very heartening things that I have uh, that has developed since the beginning of this war is that democracies, uh, at least in Europe, uh, 
the United States, South Korea, Japan, Australia um, have really hung together um, in a way that they have not over um, they haven't over any event uh, in the last gosh since maybe since maybe since Desert Storm. I mean, we were friggin' all over the place during COVID. We were, you know, uh, we got some, I you know the. Um, Iraq and Afghanistan, we didn't, you know, weren't able to build a, a coalition or a, um, a a meaningful a meaningful coalition, I should say, that really, um, really had a, you know momentum and a, a real you know energetic thrust behind it. The way that people that the democracies have united behind their support for um, for Ukraine, and I think that that's because. Democracies really realize the stakes here that you know our way of life really could be threatened by the emerging you know autocratic powers of China, Russia, Iran, um, you know so on and so forth. If they were to form a coherent block and um, uh, 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 really China challenges, the flip side of that, China, Russia has really not received a lot of support from. Uh, other autocratic states are not nearly as much as Ukraine has received from democracies. They've received a number of drones from Iran. Um, they have received uh, you know, a lot of diplomatic support from China, uh, very little material support from China, uh, some support from like Syria and North Korea. You know, country, Brazil is not an autocracy, but Brazil has um, equivocated a bit. So some of the um, autocratic countries and sort of um, weaker democracies have have not fully supported Russia. And I, it just goes to show you that uh, among these autocracies, it's really transactional. And they're not fighting for this, you know, ideal of autocracy. I mean, China has its own interests. Russia has its own interests. Russia and China talk about being strong allies and looking out for each other. But when push came to shove, China really has not materially supported Russia in the same way that its rhetoric would suggest. So, I, you know, I think that there, there is more to uh, democracies and to being a democracy, whereas um, autocracies are really fair-weather friends. And, uh, you know, we, we've been waiting, and I've been waiting and waiting, and all of us have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for China to do more, but um, they really haven't done shit this uh, war. Like, aside from uh, add diplomatic uh, cover for Russia, but, like, really haven't done much of anything. And I think, um, you know, they're more concerned with maintaining their economy and um, looking out for number one than they are for looking out for their allies. And um, I think, you know, that's that says something about, um, you know, the, the, the durability of democracies. That says something about, um, you know, the challenges that we're going to face going forward in the 21st century because, um, you know, one, no country in the, in, in the world... And it's everybody. There's literally no country in the world that can do it alone now unless we want to become uh, North Korea or something. So, anyways. All right. So that's my little rant. Here we are. We are at the end of the episode. Maxwell, you got any final thoughts? Man, no, I just... Uh, I'd be interested to see when this uh, counteroffensive stuff off then we'll have plenty to talk about definitely definitely 100% 100% alright Harpo you got any final thoughts yeah, I'm with you. I hope it comes I hope it comes sooner rather than later yep 
ready to put a put an end to that thing. Definitely, definitely. For my final thought, I'm going to echo what both of you said, and I think that's sort of the big, most relevant thing about this world right now. This offensive can't come soon enough. Um, I know that the uh, Ukrainians are timing it to their specific advantage, but uh, yeah, we're just looking forward to it happening and looking forward to you know the Russians getting their ass kicked because that's <laughs> that's what's going to happen. You know what I mean? So, all right, all right, everybody, thank you so much. Maxwell, thank you. Well, thank you, man. Harpo, thank you. Yes, sir. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. As always, our thoughts and prayers go out to the people of Ukraine. Stay strong. Stay tough. You are going to win. We love you all. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next